0: Hello, and welcome to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, a podcast sponsored by the Turo Center on Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Your TFC podcast hosts are me, Professor Gina Bardwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Uni. Across academic disciplines, Turo faculty are producing great work, and the Faculty Chronicles wants you to hear all about it. TFC podcasts will highlight faculty chatting about their favorite project in research, teaching, learning, science, medicine, technology, and so much more. So let's get busy building community connection and continuous conversation tour-wide. Our next Faculty Chronicle guest is on deck, waiting to chat. Hello, everyone.
1: Welcome to a new episode of the Faculty Chronicles. I am Elizabeth Unim, Chair and Associate Professor with the Department of Social, Behavioral and Administrative Sciences at the Toro College of Pharmacy in New York. Our guest for the day is Dr. Aaron Kenkowski, Assistant Dean for Academic Affairs, Director of Pathology and an Associate Professor of Dental Medicine at the Toro College of Dental Medicine. In his deanship role, Dr. Nkoski has direct oversight of preclinical education, the basic science education programs and curriculum management, helping to ensure the dental students are well positioned for the future of oral healthcare. He's a board certified oral and maxillofacial pathologist. He's also an attending pathologist at Westchester Medical Center, and he maintains a private practice in Manhattan where he sees clinical oral pathology patients. He is also an adjunct assistant professor with the Department of Pathology at New York Medical College. Since joining the Torah College of General Medicine in 2016, he has been instrumental in the development of the school's curriculum and a vital participant in the accreditation process. His teaching methodologies have proven to be innovative and he completed the Turner College Academy of Leadership and Management program in 2019. Currently, Dr. Enkoski represents Toro College of Dental Medicine on the American Dental Education Association Commission on Change and Innovation B2 Project. Welcome to the podcast, Erin. We're so happy to have you here with us.
2: Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Elizabeth, and for your very gracious introduction. I'm super excited to be here.
1: Tell us a little bit about your journey at Toro. When and where you started?
2: and where are you now? Yeah, it's such a fun thing to talk about. Um, I was initially hired actually before the dental school opened. I started in August of 2015, straight out of my residency training program. And I was hired specifically to help develop the pathology and medicine curriculum. Uh, But but I started two years before that part of the the curriculum would, would actually be given to students once we became accredited. And Dr. Farkas, who's a wonderful guy, he hired me to be an admissions coordinator. And so for those first year to two years here, I was uh, working on admissions, reviewing applications. I actually helped put together the first rudimentary website, the first very rudimentary student handbook, uh, worked on admissions, welcome talks to potential students, and things like that. So that was my start here, and it wasn't until... um, 2017 that I actually started my, what, what I was hired to do, which was, you know, teaching pathology and medicine.
1: Awesome. So you have been with us since 2015. So that's seven years, uh, but yeah. you have been doing quite a lot in these seven years, especially with the new program build up, right? You start kind of like verse with the dental college from the beginning. So tell us a little bit about some of your successes and challenges during
2: this initial buildup of the program? Yeah, well, thinking about some of the successes really goes back to my residency training program. And I'm so appreciative of where I went at Long Island Jewish Medical Center. My program director, Dr. John Fantasia, is just one of the most incredible people I've had the pleasure to work with. And in designing that residency training program, he really created innumerable opportunities for education and development. And we, we rotate through all the different specialties of pathology. And, and one of those rotations is thoracic and cardiovascular path. The module directors, and who's actually the director of the general pathology residency training program there at Long Island Jewish Medical Center is Dr. Michael Esposito. And when I was on that rotation, he introduced me to the flipped classroom. Right away, I realized, man, the advantages. They're just truly incredible, particularly for biomedical and clinical sciences. So when I was hired here to develop the the pathology and medical curriculum, I took that direction for the flipped classroom. And after that first year of teaching, the student feedback was overwhelmingly positive. My supervisors, Dean Myers, Dean Farkas, at the time, Dean Goldsmith, were all very happy with that kind of teaching and the innovation it brought in and the use of technology. And of course, you know, the fact that students were so happy with it. So, I think that a lot of my success stems from that, so just always think of, of my mentors and so many of them, but Dr. Fantasia, Dr. Esposito, of course, mentioned more of the people here. And um, you know, work, working with that first class of students having started here so early, uh, I realized I really enjoyed that opportunity, being a recent graduate myself, to make the learning experience better. so I picked up some interest in leadership, realizing that you can the the ability to to make some difference in the student experience. And when I saw that, the TCOM, the Toro College Academy of Leadership and Management, that first email that went out with the invitation to apply, I had some interest and I brought it to Dr. Goldsmith, Jay Goldsmith. He's a wonderful guy. He was the uh, founding dean of the dental school. He encouraged me to apply. So I applied, I, I was accepted. I could say a lot, but because of the limited time, I just say that that was the TCOM was truly an amazing experience. And I'll forever feel a sense of debt and real gratitude toward uh, Lori Bobley, to uh, Alan Sable and Sabre Brock, and of course, um, Provost Petty Salkin uh, for that incredible program they put together. I learned so much and it's really opened up so many avenues to me.
1: That's great. You talked about some of the success stories that you had, doing the flip classroom, being a part of TCOM, and I know you picked up the uh, Assistant Dean of Academic Affairs position. Mm -hmm. You are also in charge of the iLIFE program. I'm sure there were challenges too in this journey, Mm -hmm. it cannot all be easy going, Mm -hmm. right? So tell us a little bit about the challenges in this past four years, especially when you are picking up a leadership position as a right. relatively new faculty member. So tell us about some of the challenges that you had.
2: Well, to me, it seems a lot of the challenges come down to a few things. And I think the position of the of Assistant Dean for Academic Affairs, a lot of times there are things that students want or that faculty want. And those are our two most important stakeholders. And sometimes the things they want, exactly what they want, isn't always completely possible. But learning to, to find something, helping to talk, you know, learning to listen to them and find out, well, what is it that they really need in that circumstance? Maybe that the ability to, you know, a student doesn't want to take an exam at a certain time. Well, maybe finding an alternative for, for the reason that they don't want to take that exam. I think it's important to find a way to always say yes, and perhaps it's not the initial thing that folks are looking for, but being able to listen to them, talk to them, and find out what it is that they really need, and helping to meet that need is important. And so I think a lot of the challenges come from that. So many times people are, the faculty and the students, they come to me to help them find, to get an answer for what they want. And and they're quite set on what they want. And unfortunately, it's not always the case that I can say directly, be able to provide them with that. And that's always a challenge in, in learning to step back, take a breath, really listen, look at the situation in a more holistic way, and being able to guide them to something that you are able to do. Uh, rather than simply saying no, and, and I think that helps to meet a lot of challenges. Another big thing I find both interesting, and it does seem that is a source for a lot of the challenges that come up, is just the generational change. A lot of the faculty here at the dental college come from the baby boomer generation, and the rest are a handful of millennials, not too many Gen Xers. Yet our students are all millennials and and some of them are starting, the the Gen Zers are starting to to filter into the college. And I find a lot of my work day to day is bridging the generations. You know, the expectations of what young millennial or a Gen Z wants is quite different from the expectations of of our faculty that might be more mature uh, millennials or baby boomers. And so helping them see hey, what the faculty are really looking out for your best, you know, they, they really want the best for you in terms of the students, then helping the faculty, you know, these are hardworking students, they worked so hard to get here, and, and it's just their perspectives different what they've grown up with. And so anyway, a lot of, and I'm certainly um, learning rather than an expert in this area, but I think that, uh, this, that it seems that some of the challenge really comes in through the different perspectives of generations and learning to bridge them and, and find a way forward together.
1: Well, that's a beautiful way of explaining and bridging the different generations. It's almost like meeting people halfway; they are not waiting for them to come all the way to you. That's a very nice way of explaining it. And yes, that is one of the big challenge in the higher education is bridging the two different generation of faculty and students. So, when you were talking about the TCOM, the leadership program. You owe your success uh, to quite a few mentors. You named several of them. Can you explain to some of the to our listeners, how do you identify members? Like sometimes it can be hard for a new faculty to reach out to a senior faculty for mentorship. It's much more easy when it is their own faculty, but sometimes you move out to a different place and you're trying to find a senior faculty who can be your mentor. How do you identify mentors? How do you approach them?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I just start by saying, maybe six months ago, my wife pointed out to me, she said, you know, Aaron, you've really enjoyed the support of so many mentors and just thinking about the many people, the late Dr. Joan Phelan and Dr. Shaw's and, Car- and Dr. Shaw, Dr. From, from NYU. Of course, Dr. Fantasia, Dr. Morris mm-hmm. Edelman, Dr. Esposito, Dr. Lohrman at, at Long Island Jewish Medical Center. And of course, Dr. Fallon here at NYMC, who went on to another place. And of course here, Dean Myers, you just couldn't ask for a better leader, a better supervisor, and just a a wonderful person. Dean Sosloiki, Dean Farkas, Dean Kass, Provost Salkin, so many wonderful people. And just so clear looking back over the 10 years the successes I've experienced, it's just all, it's all directly related to those wonderful people who've taken their time to work together with me. And I think that part of working together is something that I don't think I knew that 10 years ago, but looking back now, I've seen, oh, it wasn't just go out for a cup of coffee and chit chat, like, oh, how do I get ahead or this kind of thing. What it was in all of those relationships, it was actually that we worked together on a project. And now kind of again, looking back and being able to sort of crystallize those experiences, I realized finding the mentors is really about people that have a mutual interest and then being able to find something to work on together that is a mutual interest and mutual benefit. And I gotta say, in, in many of these relationships, working on papers with Dr. Fantasia, working on iLive with Dean Soisloyki, in those relationships, we talk about ideas, we come up with some really good things. And it is true, being the, the junior person, I'm kind of doing the back end work. And, and some of that's tough, it requires a lot of time. But in those relationships and being able to do the work together, We talk about an idea and then I go back, do some of the back work, the leg work on it, bring it back, we talk some more. The key to that that I found is that while it is a lot of work on my end, working together with them, I learn about their person and about the way they approach challenges, the way they work together with other people and that process of getting to be with them in that working environment again, seeing how they approach things, seeing how they work together with others, That, to me, has been the key of the educational experience, learning with them, is seeing how they are. And that opportunity, you know, when you you just have a conversation with someone over coffee, you do get to learn about them and how they are. But really seeing and, like, living together with them through the work, to me, that's really where the mentorship comes from, is keeping an open mind and, and trying to absorb from them as we're working together.
1: I completely agree with you working with them on a project is a natural way of learning things from them rather than asking them to talk about something for 30 minutes i completely agree but can you also explain how did these projects come along did you approach them for a project or uh, how did that come along so again that's something the new faculty may be struggling with how do you find those projects
2: right right well, I think it's it's about identifying areas of need. Just to take, uh, for instance, with the curriculum here at the dental college, I think we enjoyed some some early successes, and where those came from, at least the successes that I that I was involved in, of course, a lot of successes I was apart from. But some particular coursework, I happened to observe there were some issues uh, before they surfaced. Kind of watching things and observing, and I was able to to bring those issues to Dean Myers. And, and I'm thinking of one particular instance, actually, and things actually worked out this way in a couple of times, but being able to see things and observing, keeping my eyes open, keeping the big picture in view, identifying some issues before they surfaced in a major way and bringing some solutions ahead of time. So this one instance that I'm thinking of, I observed that there's a kind of something sorting to brew at a kind of beginning and to ferment. And identifying that and knowing, okay, well, here's a way that we can work on to fix that and going to the dean saying, Ronnie, this is happening here. I put together, you know, actually a word document with an outline of how we can dress it. And so he was able to take that, work with it, give me some feedback, say, well, how about we do this, this, and this change this here. And then working together some back and forth. And eventually that produced some good results. And we're, again, like I mentioned earlier, we are able to get some successes in the curriculum that we're still enjoying. As that, again, specific instance was about four years ago, but we were able to address something that has since then you know, turned out to be very good and not only prevent a problem, but produce something really positive. And so I think it's about keeping one's eyes open, thinking about the perspective of others. A big part of leadership, I think, is knowing the direction and the vision of where the institution wants to go. And aligning ourselves with that and then really opening our eyes to the situations that we see at the institution to see where we can help things further align and identify opportunities to make things better. And according to according to the perspective and vision that that the leadership has.
1: That's really nice to hear the way you explained it. So basically what you're telling is that though we all come from different places, once we are in our own university, understand the mission and vision and where this university is trying to go and then align our interest and our mission and vision along the universities and then it's all kind of start falling in place because it's of value to you as well as it is of value to the university or to the mentor you are working with so identifying something like that that's a way to find the mentoring
2: that's right and i think that even stepping back and being able to understand the mission, and then even how that mission is interpreted by our supervisors, and in my case, the dean, and then knowing, having the conviction that I feel positive to align myself with that. Here at the dental school, I would say our one of our big directions is we want to provide the very best dental education possible, which every dental school in the country is going to say that, right? But what we're focusing in on is doing it in the most humanistic environment possible and, and creating the best experience for students. What that comes down to is day by day looking at the student experience and trying to find the way that's going to create that environment where learning happens and, and we believe the best learning happens where people feel comfortable they feel unintimidated they feel free uh they feel safe to express themselves and so knowing that's dean ronnie meyer's interpretation of the mission to an extent and that's something that i myself can get behind and i feel good about and i can align with based on that identifying where we can work toward that more. When that happens, you find an area that brings in a really great opportunity for mentorship.
1: Awesome, awesome. In these past few years, you, know, you really have taken on some leadership roles and you are doing excellent in that. So Thank you. what is a word of advice to our listening faculty out there who might be thinking about leadership And again, leadership is not easy always. It comes with quite a few of sacrifices and struggles, too. So what would be a word of advice you have for our listeners who may be thinking about taking some leadership roles?
2: Well, that's that's such a broad question, Elizabeth. Uh, Where to begin? I think understanding, I think always starting small is a good idea in life. I mean, to me, in everything, starting small and then allowing that to grow is always good. And I think with the leadership roles, it's the same thing, finding a small thing to begin to work at and see how it goes and see how it enjoys the experience. I think that's number one. Of course, what I mentioned before about aligning with the mission and the vision, you know, taking on leadership means that, well, you're happy to take the lead in in that mission, you know, And, and as long as you align with that, I think that's critical, really knowing and seeing the vision of your institution. But we have talked about that already. But I, I do want to emphasize that's probably number one, being able to align. Otherwise, we may be running into a wall every single day, right? So once that's taken care of and out of the way, then being able to identify small opportunities. But then there's so many more things. And I would say that early on here at the dental school, as I mentioned, you know, I, I worked on the flipped classroom and that was a big success. And I think that was one of the springboards for me. But I've got to say, there were many nights I was here, or mornings rather, I was here till 2 or 3 or 4 a.m. And I think that willingness to expand one's boundaries, you know, people say, well, I'm only going to work 9 to 5. Well, I would find it hard to do my job if I were only willing to work 9 to 5. I think it comes with the territory of leadership to have the willingness when there's the need. I mean, it's not every night, right? But when there's the need to be able to push myself to... Only get a couple hours of sleep. And I I can do that. Of course, self-care is so important. We know that especially through the pandemic. I need to take care of myself and all of that. Yet at the same time, my view is that that's part of the job to be able to get by on a couple hours of sleep once in a while and put in the work. That's important. And I think, again, being willing to stretch one's boundaries a little bit is part of that. I'd say another thing is to be willing to be put in uncomfortable situations, emotionally at least. Uh, Just this morning, one of our rising stars at the dental college, her and I, we were discussing a situation and she said, well, this has placed me in an awkward situation. This put me in an awkward position. And we have a good enough relationship that I was able to say, well, that's part of the job. And my dean, uh, Ronnie, he's mentioned to me a number of times, most more recently, if you're unable to have a thick skin, it's probably the wrong job. And so skin does get thicker. I can testify to that for sure. But I believe there's a lot of truth to that, just being able to have some anxiety and still be able to sleep well at night and have some people push their problems on you and push their problems on me and be able to not allow those to disrupt my sleep and rest and just realize, look, I've always found a solution to the problems before. We'll find a solution to this one, but I'm going to do it tomorrow morning. (laughs) So (laughs) I think think that's part of it, just uh, willing to do the long hours, willing to work really really hard and push one's boundaries and then being in those uncomfortable situations and being able to manage one's mental state and that that comes with time I think we all start off it's a little tougher but our psychological skin does get thicker as we pass through these situations and it's okay to let it build without becoming an insensitive person it's important to be sensitive especially to the needs of others
1: so beautiful I think you explained it very beautifully to someone who might be listening to us on leadership Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, We enjoyed listening to your leadership journey and your insights about the leadership itself. And also thank you to our listeners for tuning into the Faculty Chronicles. Until next time, and signing off is Elizabeth Unay.
0: Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Thank you for tuning in to the faculty chronicles tfc turo's podcast featuring the projects and work of faculty throughout the turo college and university system tfc is sponsored by the office of the provost and kettle the center for excellence in teaching and learning we hope you like what you heard and will keep listening so join us next time on the faculty chronicles as we highlight and share faculty achievements that build community connection and continuous conversation.